But ladies and gentlemen, our friend, your friend, Justin McRoberts. Give it up. Uh, yep, everyone is leaving Oakland. Anyways, uh, good morning, Heartland family. Uh, I love you guys. Uh, I love being here. I love being here, but uh, it's not just because I like being here. It's because I, I feel loved and home when I'm here. I took a picture earlier when I got here uh, from my son, uh, who's now 13, a picture of him as a, a tiny little tot um, in the hallway back there uh, by the dock playing with cars um, and sent it to him. He, he would have liked to have been here this morning, but um, he's not for school reasons. And, uh, but I love, I, I love being here. And yes, I do. I have, uh, I have letters for you. This is a place where I, when I feel, when I d- deliver a message, when I teach, um, I know I'm talking to people that I care about. And I know I'm talking to people who uh, care about me. It feels like a connection point. So I have things to say this morning uh, about who we are. And um, if I could go back in time and say something to my younger self, it would be the very same thing that I, I want to say to you. And I kind of say this almost every time I'm here. Uh, and it goes something like this. You are God's. And he loves you. And he's proud of you. You are God's, and he loves you, and he's proud of you. You know what's crazy sauce? We never graduate from that. Someone say amen. amen. That is just it. That's the whole ballgame. And almost every dark, evil device in the world has leveraged every ounce of energy it has against you knowing that and remembering it. You are God's, and he loves you. And he's proud of you. The way I have gone about over the course of my life, um, remembering that and coming back to that has to do with the practice of rest. I am someone who works a lot. Someone say amen. Y'all with me? I work a lot. I like working. I work because I have to. And I also work because I really like to. I like the work I do. Uh, I like putting myself out there. I, I just, I enjoy work and I've got to work. So I, I work a ton. And what I've figured out over the course of time, I figured out what I've learned and continue to learn is that the practice of rest and Sabbath keeping actually puts me in a position to be completely who I am in the work I want to do. So we're going to talk about rest and Sabbath keeping. We're talking about this first phrase I'm starting with is Sabbath keeping in one, in, in, in one, one way to talk about it is it's one whole day to do what gives you life. So I want you to really quickly close your eyes right, right where you are. Just close your eyes. And I want you to make a short mental list of things that you do or want to do or wish you could do that are simply life-giving. Things that are just enjoyable. Things you do that make you just feel present and alive. Things that take your mind off of worry. It could be exercise. It could be not, not exercise. It could be golf. I don't know why that's true for you, but apparently it is for some people. It could be long walks. It could be honestly just sitting quietly, if not silently, in a room by yourself. Whatever that thing is that pops up, like what do you do that just feels good, makes you feel alive and feel present? And then I want you as best you can to imagine the voice of God the Father saying to you about your favorite things to do. Hey, let's do those. I'll go with you. That is at least part of the heart of Sabbath keeping. 
So we're going to talk about Sabbath keeping because I think it ends up in this weird religious category that's sort of divorced from what I think God's heart is when he gives it to us as a gift and a practice and a commandment. So when I talk about Sabbath, here's what I mean by Sabbath. Here's my kind of working definition of Sabbath. One whole day of rest from work without obligation every week committed to God. Sound easy? Everyone's ready? Let's go. Boom. Simple. No big deal. We've got this pinned. This is, I mean, this is, a, it's in the, it's in the scriptures, it's commanded. And how I started Sabbath keeping is I, I read it in the Bible. And because it was in the Bible, I was like, well, I'm just going to go ahead and do that. And then I just started. It's not true. That's not how it happened. And you knew it when I was saying it. That's not how it happened. The way it happened, it's a story, I, I'm, I'm going to title this story. It's, it's, a, it's about reluctance. Uh, and it actually has a Heartland tie-in here. Now, before I get into the story, uh, like understand context, like I said, I, I love to work. I always have loved to work, and I like the work that I do. And I have been self-employed since like 1999. Like, it, so if, if there's money in my life, like I went out and hustled and got it, I'm my own boss. Singer, songwriter guy, author guy, spiritual director, coach, retreat leader, all these things, the things that I do. So when I started on this journey of being an artist, I uh, like... I gave into this reality that I still live in. And I don't tell you this to freak you out. I tell this to give you context for the things I'm about to say. As I stand before you right now, I cannot tell you in actuality by mathematics, I can't tell you where my money is going to come from like six or seven months from now. I really have no idea. Five, six, seven months. I don't really know. I can't tell you for sure that every dollar I need is going to show up. I don't know. And that's actually been the reality of my life for 20 years. Now, when I started this journey, that definitely freaked me out a little bit more. So I would put in 60, 70, 80, sometimes 90 hours a week just driving hard because I have to work in order to hold my life together. Someone say amen? I've got to. I wanna, you know, stuff to pay for, apparently food and, like a, and shelter and like originally Raiders tickets. And that went away, makes life so much easier on so many levels, emotionally specific. We'll get into it later on. And I was tired. Like I was working a ton and I was tired. And I had friends around me who were like poning out that I was tired. And you've been here where like someone's like, hey bro, you're tired. And what I would say was like, yeah, well, that's just part of being an adult. And it's not, but we say that. That's just part of being an adult is being tired. Well, um, my wife, who was working a lot with me at the time, we would travel together and she was also experiencing tiredness and exhaustion and she experienced it, let's just say, differently than me. <laughs> so she comes to me and she, because she read this, uh, th this excerpt, this kind of, in a magazine from a book. And the book is called The Rest of God, Restoring Your Soul by Restoring the Sabbath. She comes to me, I'm in the office in the garage, she walks and she goes, I just read this excerpt, you should totally read the excerpt. I said, what's it about? She said, it's about Sabbath keeping and rest. I was like, I don't have time for that. I've got work to do. I don't have time for some art. Like, what's the, what's the gist? She goes, are you asking me to summarize an excerpt? I'm like, yes. Well, I don't have time. So she, this is a real, the actual story. So she's like, it's about Sabbath keeping and rest. I feel like it's the book we should be reading. I'm like, I don't, you want to read the book and then tell me what you think. So she reads the book, <laughs> comes in, reads the book. She comes back to me a couple weeks later. She's like, Justin, this is like Sabbath keeping rest. It's like the whole thing. Like we should really, I'm like, what's the book? Like, do you have like a breakdown? She goes, I tried to offer you a breakdown when I brought you the excerpt before. I was like, okay, I don't really have time for this. She goes, okay, fine. Because she knows me, here's what she does. 
She goes, okay, seven weeks out from now, we're just going to practice rest. We're going to take a day off. We're going to practice the Sabbath. I was like, okay, fine. And I don't agree to it because I'm like, that's a great idea. I just don't want to have a fight. That's all. I just agreed to it because I just gave up right there. That's called husbandry. If you want a lesson on that. You didn't win that argument. I just quit. That's how that happened. So no sooner did I say that, and this is, how, this is what happens when we agree to do good things. Someone say amen. I decided to do something healthy. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I said that the next day I get a phone call from one of my buddies here who works at Heartland. He's like, hey man, what are you doing on these days? And he's pointing at that week, seven weeks out. I'm like, nothing. I got nothing going on. He's like, yeah, can you come out to Heartland? We're doing this series. Like, Great, I'm in, I'm in. I agreed to it. So I go to AIM. I'm like, hey, babe, so sorry, but like I got to work. And so I got a job heading out to Heartland. What are you doing? I don't know. I'll get there on Thursday. I'll be there for the whole weekend. I'll come back on Monday morning. Okay, cool. A couple weeks later, he's like, what? so what's the plan of the Heartland? What's it? I'm like, oh, I don't even know. So I, so I messaged my buddy. I'm like, hey, just so I can prep, like what's the plan? What's it? Go? Oh, yeah, yeah. So the staff and I, we just read this book called The Rest of God, Restoring Your Soul by Restoring the Sabbath. Shut up. I'll send you a copy. I was like, yeah, you do that. So he sent me a copy. I don't read it. No, because I'm committed to not reading at this point because I've already made that decision internally. So I get the book and I'm not even kidding you. Here's what I do. I read the back of the book. I read a little bit of the last chapter, like the summary part. And then I go find that excerpt that Amy had tried to give me before. I, I'm, that's funny, but also listen to what I'm doing. Because this was the shape of my spiritual life, and you're going to resonate with this. I was just getting just enough so that I could do the work in front of me. Anyone with me? I was getting just enough so I could keep going. Got here on the Thursday, did some Friday stuff, did some Saturday stuff. And then in between services on, on Sunday, my buddy comes to me. He's like, dude, you are tired, tired. It's like, hey, man, that's just part of being an adult. And this is one of the reasons I just love being at Heartland, because people here, like, actually love me. And he was like, yeah, no. How about this? What if instead of you leaving tomorrow morning, you just stay and actually practice the stuff we've been, we've been preaching? Just stay, get some rest. We'll put you up in a place, get you some books. It's like, honestly, man, that actually really does sound good. And I'll receive that gift. I'll stay. We'll eat your ticket, you know, whatever. Okay, great. So... <laughs> During the next service, I'm up here leading songs and I, my phone is buzzing in my back pocket because I used to always have my phone on me. And I walk off and while he's teaching, I look at my text and, it's my, and my buddy Kirk, who lives in Nashville, Tennessee, he's like, are you available this week? I said, sure. He goes, can you be in Nashville by tomorrow? I said, yes, absolutely. I got nothing going on. So I come to my buddy afterwards. I'm like, bro, I'm so sorry. I appreciate your care. But like, I got to work. I have to. If I don't hold my life together, I'm, you know. He's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm just heading to Nashville for something. It's like a retreat of some kind. And their song leader like can't make it. And they, you know, it's because it's Nashville based, they don't want to hire a Nashville song leader. So I'll, I'm going to, I'm headed to Nashville. I was like, oh, wow. He's like, what's the theme? I'm like, I don't have no idea. So the next morning I'm at the airport. This is a true story. You think you know what's about to happen? You have no idea. So I'm in the airport and I'm, and I'm texting Kirk. I'm like, hey, so what's the theme? Just so I can like prep songs on the way. He goes, oh yeah. So it's this retreat. And we flew in this author. His name is Mark Buchanan. He just wrote this book called The Rest of God, Restoring Your Soul. Shut up. No way. That's not the end. 
I get to Nashville. I walk into the retreat center, and my buddy, who they had originally hired to lead songs, is there. And he's there. He's got all his songs she's laid out. He's got his guitar plugged in. I'm like, bro, what are you doing here? He goes, no, dude, what are you doing here? I was like, I heard you couldn't make it, so they brought me in. He's like, I don't know where that started. I said nothing to anyone about not being able to be here. I don't know where that rumor started. And I was like, oh, I think I might. It was like the spirit of Christ is like, oh, you want a job? You want a job? No job for you. <laughs> Only rest. So now I'm sitting there in front of this author whose book has been chasing me like a hound dog for six months. And the first thing he says is this. He says, if you're in the room this morning, I'm going to assume you love what you do and that you're doing what you love. And a bunch of us nod our heads. And then he says this. If you want to do the stuff you love and continue to love what you do long-term, you have to learn to not do it. Because the most burned out people I know are people who do the thing they love and love what they do and never stop. And then that thing they love becomes a thing they resent because they're so tired from doing it. And that's a dark place to be. And so I immediately started Sabbath keeping. That's also not true. What I started doing, though, was practicing. The Sabbath is a commandment. Someone say commandment. It's a commandment. We'll talk about that in a minute. It is also a practice. And the reason it gets to be both is because it is the grace of Christ that holds all things together. Someone say amen. It is not your obedience that holds all things together. It is not the law that holds all things together. It is the grace of Christ. So even the things that God commands for us, these things are entirely fundamentally necessary. I can't bridge that gap between where I am and what I'm supposed to be. Someone say amen. So grace undergirds these things. It gets to be a commandment and a practice. Now, here's what I mean when I say practice. So uh, one of my favorite authors is a guy named David Brooks, who a number of years ago wrote an article in the New York Times about baseball. And he talked about the, the way baseball has the brain hacked. And he was at a, a Dodgers game. We can forgive him for that. But he was at a Dodgers game. And if you show up at a ball game, major league ball game, an hour and a half ahead of time, what's happening on the field? Practice. Playing third base with the Dodgers at the time was a guy named Jeff Kent. Jeff Kent was, still is, one of the greatest defensive infielders in history. Just an amazing talent, brilliant ball player, instincts like crazy, arms and legs for days, cannon for an arm. He's out at third base. He's 38 years old at the time of the story. Been playing baseball since he was six. He's at third base in ready position like this. Coach hits the ball towards third. He slides over, one knee on the ground, hop step, point step, throw to first base on the back end of ready position over and over again. Now Brooks is watching this and it strikes him. He's like, okay, wait, wait, wait. He's the best in the world at what he does, at least one of them. And he's been playing baseball since he was six. He's 38, which means for 32 years, he's been running that same drill probably every day. And there are six-year-old kids across town in Los Angeles running that exact same like basic, basic drill. Why? Why does someone who is expert at this thing run that same drill over and over and over? Why practice? It strikes him. He says, because when a baseball comes off a bat in a major league ball game, it's going anywhere between like 85 and 120 miles an hour. Unless you play for the athletics and then it's like 15, 20 miles an hour. It's a slow dribbler. If it doesn't go foul, you get tossed out of first base and then move to Vegas. Um, <laughs> if a ball is heading at you at 100 miles an hour, you don't have time to think and plan for what it is you're going to do. Your body simply has to react, respond, and shift into ready position. I'm going to say a thing, 
and we're going to agree, and this is one of those really hard cultural truths. Y'all ready? Most days, you and I do not have a felt need for the grace and the strength of Jesus Christ. Most days, something in us says, I can get by. I don't have a felt need for it. And then comes that day when you do. Someone say amen. And on that day, may it be so for you and for me that I'm not trying to figure out if I can trust Jesus. I want to be so practiced at it that when the diagnosis or the failure or the dissolving of the relationship shows up, my heart, my soul, my mind, my body just shift into that position and I know I can trust him because I've been practicing it on days I don't feel it. Someone say amen. That is what practice is. Now, it is a practice. It is also a commandment. Guys! It's a commandment. Look, if you go to the commandments, I'll show you. It's right there. If you go to the commandments, there's a slide of the commandments. These are the commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. That's about how holy God is. Like, there's no one above God. This is about the character of God. You shall have no, Don't even make an image of me. Like, don't even draw it. Like, I'm so holy, don't even draw me. Don't even use my name. All first three commandments are ultimately about, like, how holy God is. The very first command that has anything to do with, you, with our behaviors and how we live our lives has to do with the Sabbath. Take a day off. That's the first commandment that has, has to do with how we live our lives. And look what it says. But guys, it says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. It comes before murder. Guys, it comes before kill. Before the Lord said, don't kill each other. He said, take a day off. As if to say like, maybe if we took a day off, you wouldn't want to kill each other. <laughs> if you go further, if you look at the way the commandment's actually written, so many fascinating parts. Is, is right here, on, on the Sabbath day, you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son, your daughter, nor your male or female servant, <laughs> nor your animals. The dog's like, come on, I need a day. Nor any foreigner residing in your towns. Part of why we don't rest, part of why we struggle here in the West, in America specifically, to actually like, obey the Sabbath commandment is because no one else in our lives is doing it. Someone say amen. It's hard to do stuff when no one else is going to go with you. Which makes it a couple things. It makes it a practice, absolutely, like we talked about. It makes it also a commandment. And watch me say this. It is also a prophetic resistance against a culture that is trying to get you to believe things about yourself that are simply not true. It is a way for you and I to prophetically speak back of the culture and the cultures that we are living in and functioning in and serving to say, I will serve you and I will be here and I will give the best I've got when it's time, but I do not belong to you because I belong to him. It, is a, it is, is a cultural resistance. It is a prophetic resistance against ideologies and systems that want to make you believe things about yourself that simply are not true. If you go to the next part of this, um, we'll skip this part. Um, jump one more slide. The Sabbath is an invitation to stop. And as we stop, we can regain, we can gain renewal, rest, and replenishment so that we can live our lives more fully. I become more completely who I am as I am more and more God's. Next frame here. Um, before it was a commandment, uh, Sabbath and rest are woven into the fabric of creation. This is from Genesis. The heavens and the earth were finished and all their multitude. And on the seventh day, God finished all the work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it because on it, God rested from all the work that he had done in creation. 
rest and the practice of rest is the way you and I practice looking more like God. Someone say amen. God creates the world in six days and then there's the seventh day of rest. There are two ways to read that. One is like after six days, God was like, (gasps) gosh, platypus, crazy, really hard. Or God rests because God chooses to rest because it is the nature of God. The shape of God includes rest. And if I want to, which I do, be and live in the shape of God, then I I too need to choose to rest. And not just because I'm tired. Someone say amen. Not just wait until I'm done. Can I I tell you why I can't wait till I'm done? Because I'm never done. Anyway, with me? I'm never done. Anyone ever feel finished, finished, done, done, done? No. So years ago, um, before we had kids, um, we were sadder. But that's a different story. Before we had kids, we found out that we, we, we didn't find out that we, my wife was pregnant. I was responsible. If you need clarity on how that works, uh, there's a seminar, I believe, after the service. Um, and I freaked out because, like, I looked around my life, and maybe you experienced this too when you found out that you were going to have kids. Like, I didn't feel like I had enough. Anyone with me? I don't think I've got time. I don't think I've got space. We live in this tiny little apartment, and we had this, like, this office. And we had to vacate the office to make room for this human that we were bringing into the world. And I called my buddy Jesse because, uh, like, I'm not super handy. I'm an artist. So, uh, so as I called Jesse, and I was like, hey, do you know, can you come by on Saturday and help me put in this shelving unit for kids? This is, by the way, this is not my house. I stole this image from the Google. I wish I had that many books. So Jesse comes over on the Saturday. I blocked off like an hour and a half, two, three hours for this time. I got like, you know, I made sandwiches. I got a cooler, a beer. I got to hang out, be men. And he's done in 30 minutes. <laughs> and he's like finished, like anchored against the wall. He's got like... I'm like, watch, I'm holding tools that, that he doesn't use. Do you want this one? And, I, and then he goes like, hey, man, I'm all done. I was like, thanks. He goes, is it cool if I split? I was like, yeah, I'll see you later. Which leaves me with a dilemma. Do I or do I not eat his sandwich? And the answer is yes, of course I do. The actual dilemma was this. I, you're going to resonate with this. I'd set aside like hour and a half, two hours plus. He's done in 30 minutes. What other productive stuff can I cram into the time I've got left over? Anyone with me? That's the first place my brain goes. I've got extra time. What other productive stuff can I use this time for? And something like wisdom got a hold of my heart and said, why don't you just stop and take the moment in? So I pulled the stool up that Jesse brought over and he left and I sat down and I and I'm staring at the shelving unit that he put on the wall. And I was like, thank God Jesse did that. Because I could not have, not, I mean, I kind of could have, but it would have been disastrous. Thank God Jesse. Oh, actually, wait, hold on. God, thank you for Jesse. People get paid to do what he just did. And he just came over and did it because he cares about me. Thank God for Jesse. Thank you, Jesus, for my friend Jesse. And not just Jesse. I mean, Jesse and Andrea both. Jesse, I mean, Andrea, Andrea made these cuffs of mine when I asked her to help me remember some really important stuff in my life. It's, they're such a great couple. And it's not just them. It's, it's them. It's the DeBoers. But it's also the Rostons and the Caligeros and the Bloxhams. We're just surrounded by these incredible people. Lord Jesus, thank you for these wonderful people I'm surrounded by. These, and some of them are dads and they're, they're really good dads and I have no idea what I'm about to do being a dad and I need some help. Thank God I've got some, 
thank you, Jesus, I've got some people around me going to help me. And I just sat there for a little while. I don't know really how long. And I just took in how ridiculously good my life is. Y'all, we don't do that enough. Someone say amen. We are constantly moving on to the next thing because something in your culture, something in the world around you does not want you to live thankfully because if you live thankfully, you live freely. If you live freely, you love deeper. And if you love more deeply, you transform the world around you. And there are forces in the world that want you to move on from the goodness of God so that they can keep you addicted to the garbage they're trying to sell you. Someone say amen. amen. And it takes stopping to let the goodness of God catch up with my life so that I can live faithfully, well, and freely tomorrow. It'll never be the case, ever, that you and I will make a plan for tomorrow that is so good, so foolproof, so beautiful that we can actually put our hearts in it and trust it. I will never believe that. Here's what I can do, though. I can look at yesterday and I can see the way God showed up and then showed up, and then showed up, and then showed up, and know that regardless of whether my plans work or fail, he's going to show up, and show up, and show up. And the peace and the security in my life does not come from my surefire plans, or even the trust in my own abilities. It comes from the fact that he has been faithful, and the only way to know he's faithful is to remember that he's been faithful. Someone say amen. I've got to remember. The Sabbath is an invitation to stop and remember God is good and that you've been given a good life. The Sabbath is an invitation to thankfully celebrate the good gifts you've been given. Now, this word remember, if you look back at the Sabbath commandment, if you jump to this slide here, remember the Sabbath. Like I said, there are forces in the world that really don't want you to believe this. I want to be a little bit more specific about what I, because we say that, like, you know, forces of darkness and narratives and all that kind of stuff. Here, here's what I mean. There was a commercial um, in the like early 2000s for a lesser piece of technology, which is to say it was not an iPhone or an Apple device. Um, it was a Motorola device. I'm just going to name names. And in the commercial, there's this guy in a boardroom, uh, very important looking boardroom, all fancy schmancy. And he's sitting there in his suit and his tie and he's got his sleeves rolled up. And there's someone giving a presentation. And while this person's giving a presentation, he gets a message on his new Motorola device. And he looks up to watch if the person's giving the presentation is looking at him. He's not. And so he opens up, he's, he opens up his Motorola and he sees the email and then he opens up the attachments, a little schematic. And then he watches to see if he's being, and, he, and he's got enough time. So he starts typing on the machine. And as he types, his hands turn from flesh into machine. And then it like moves all the way up his arm. Go to the next slide here. It moves all of his arm. And then like it, the, the mechanism like goes all the way up his arm. It's typing super fast. And then because he can multitask and then he closes the device and puts it down. And then this guy's still not noticing. He was a, he's so capable as a person that he's, he's not limited by the need to pay attention to the people around him. And then the commercial ends. And, and once in a while, like the darker forces in the world will actually rear their ugly heads and, and, and kind of overstep and we get to hear their narratives. Someone say amen. Like it wants to be subtle and then sometimes it forgets to be. And the commercial ends with this line right here. Turning you into an instrument of efficiency. This is the narrative of the anti-gospel. That the best thing you can possibly be is an instrument of some machine. The best thing you can do is be productive and add to the bottom line of whatever culture or whatever system you belong to. 
And if you're going to be a good instrument, that's why your limitations are problematic. You've got to be able to multitask. Y'all, it's just literally like physiologically impossible for you and I to multitask and do our jobs well. Someone say amen. It's just not true. But your limitations are a problem. You've got to be something other than human if you're going to be a good instrument. If you're going to be a good piece of the machine, you can't be human. And if you don't feel like, if you don't buy that, like the idea that we treat ourselves like, like machines, like this is the stuff we're told to put in our bodies. <laughs> Come on now. Y'all, this ain't food. Like, look at the ingredients. You can't even read this stuff. It's like, there's like a seven and a nine in the middle of the word for the chemical and the thing. Like, and like... I'm not saying, like, don't ever. Like, if you have to drink a monster every once in a while, like, I'm not. But if we have to put this stuff on our bodies on the regular to keep going and doing what we're doing, we're just living wrong. Someone say amen. Now, someone out there is like, are you shaming me for my, are you shaming me, McRoberts? Yeah, a little bit. I am. A little bit. Yeah. So let me turn the corner. This isn't mine. This one's mine. That's mine. That's the one I did. So when I was in college, because uh, I was, and I did okay, uh, I had, I was in college and I had two jobs. And one of them was a young life job and the other job we don't want to talk about anymore. So uh, I, I was doing homework from like 11 p.m. to 3 a.m. That's when I had time to do homework because my life was crammed busy. I tell you, I, I've always loved to do the work. I've always been busy. 11 o'clock to 3 a.m., that's when I'm doing homework. Now, this is back before everyone had a computer, so I had to drive across town to my mom's house to use her, like, old Mac. The kind of, remember the Macs with, with the keyboard? Like, if you were seven houses down, you could, you could hear the clacking. She had one of those. So I would drive across town 35 minutes to my mom's house at 11 o'clock at night. That was my nightlife as a, as a college kid. Just how I ever got married, I don't know. Um, on this particular night, this story, um, I, I had some coffee with me. I was drinking some coffee to stay awake and I was working away at this paper and I, the, the, these fingers on my hand, the two left, started to go numb. I was like, that's weird. Now I'm not a hypochondriac until I am and then I am. And so I start to freak out. And as I start to freak out, like my heart starts beating faster. It might have been beating faster before. I'm not totally sure. And then these fingers start going numb. And then I'm, all, I'm starting to sweat. And I'm shaking. So I'm freaking out. So I call our family doctor. His name is Dr. Davidson. I call him up and I leave him a message that sounded something like, heart failure. He calls back my mom's phone at like, like 4.35 o'clock in the morning. And I pick up, I'm like, hi, hello, hello, hi. And he says, hey, hey, slow, slow down. Listen, hey, you are not dying. I'm like, you don't know that. Um, you are not dying. Office opens at seven, but I can be there by six. Can you get there? I said, sure, I will be there. So I leave the house. I run by 7-Eleven, grab some coffee. And um, <laughs> so back in the day, uh, do you remember 7-Eleven used to sell those massive orange 32-ounce coffee mugs? Like, that's the one I had. And I'm sitting in my doctor's office. I think it's a comedy sketch, for goodness sakes. I'm sitting in my doctor's office with the 32-ounce coffee mug. Like, I know what's wrong with me! He's like, listen, there's no history of heart failure at all in your history. Like, or anyone in your family history. Like, but can we, can we talk about coffee? Like, how much coffee do you drink? I'm like, why, why do you ask? What's the, why, why, why does that even come up right now? 
He's like, like yesterday. Huh? Like, let's just walk through yesterday. I was like, okay, sure. So I got up at like, got up at 4.45 because the phone rang because I'm on a substitute teaching list. So I got a call. So then my, my roommate and I woke up, you know, we got, we made some coffee. So I had two cups of coffee before I left the house. Then I got some coffee on the way to the, to the school where I was teaching. And I taught for half a day. And I had, actually had coffee in the first class. I had coffee in the second. Actually, I had coffee between classes. And then I left that and I went to my class at school because I have, um, at the school I got through. And I actually had coffee in class. And then I left then and I went to the campus where I do youth ministry. And I, I had coffee with kids when I was on campus. And I went through the day. And we figured out, we did the math. And I had, <laughs> I had had 16 cups of coffee. Someone said no. Oh no, seriously. I had 16 cups of coffee. My, my family doctor, this is how doctors used to talk to people. Doctor looked me square in the face and said, son, you're at a crossroads. <laughs> I said, like, I'm feeling that. He said, you're at a crossroads. You can either taper back on your caffeine consumption or just start doing something like speed. I was like, <laughs> do, you, do, you, do you like, you know a guy or is that, is that what I mean? What he was doing, uh, he was pointing at the fact that I was trying to, I was treating myself like a machine. I was up against limits. And when I give this talk, we're on college students all the time, I do this moment, and I won't, I won't dig all the way in, but like someone told you at some point that you got to get through college in four years, and for a lot of kids, it's just not the healthiest decision. Someone say amen. I like this quote from Wayne Mueller's uh, book on Sabbath. He says, if we refuse to rest until we are finished, we will never rest until we die. Sabbath dissolves the artificial urgency of our days because it liberates us from the need to be finished. Someone say amen. Jesus Christ holds the whole, whole world together, not my efforts. Um, go to the next frame here. The Sabbath is an invitation to stop and remember you are not a machine. You are not defined by productivity. You are beloved. One more frame, uh, and we're going to start wrapping this thing up. You are beloved. The letter I would write to myself uh, is the letter that Jesus got at the beginning of his ministry and his life. And it is the truth that you and I can just never graduate from. Because before he had done anything, he hadn't healed anybody, y'all. He hadn't performed a miracle. He hadn't gathered the disciples. Not, he had not announced his Messiahhood. He's baptized by John. He comes out of the water. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, go get him, son. We got work to do. Nope. A voice from heaven said, man, this world's a broken place. We got to go out and fix it. Nope. The voice from heaven said, this is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. You're mine. I love you. I am so proud of you. And every ounce of work that poured out of the life of Jesus from that point wasn't about how broken people are. It wasn't about how much needed to get fixed. It was not about the urgency of the world around him. It was an outpouring of the knowledge deep in his soul that he was loved by the God to whom he belonged and that that God was proud of him. Period. There is a lot of work to do in the world. Someone say amen. That work will not be done by people who are trying to get the work done. That work would only be done by people who are 
pouring out of their deep, deep well the love of the God that said, before you accomplish anything, you're mine, I love you, and I'm proud of you. And there is one place, one place only to get that established in our hearts is to hear it regularly. Not once in a while. To not wait for the moment where I wonder if I'm lost in the world or if I've accomplished enough, but to regularly practice stopping and letting the goodness of Jesus catch up with me so that tomorrow I can act out of that wholeness and not respond to the urgencies of the world that I am loved, that I belong to him, and that he's proud of me. I'm going to wrap it up with this song um, that I wrote a number of years ago uh, for my grandmother uh, after she had passed um, which is to say I was late on delivery that's a decent joke why does no one laugh at that I feel like it's a good <laughs> just feel bad for my grandma she's fine um, I was at her memorial service and um, there's a whole story here but the service was planned for 45 minutes and it went for like three hours because people started talking and they started telling stories about Helen. And there were these stories about how deeply she loved them and how many times she showed up. And it was like I said, it was like three hours of people telling stories about this woman. The legacy she, she left as a person was that she was available and caring. She was present. May it be so for Heartland as a people, as a church, as a culture, that our legacy will not be uh, the way we do church and the way we organize our Sunday services. Someone say amen. That the legacy of this place and of this people will be that this is an available people who are pouring themselves out from a deep well of the knowledge that they're loved by the God who holds all things together. The people who aren't responding in urgency, but the people responding in peace and in joy and wholeness and in health. Because at some point it's all done. And when it's done, may people tell great stories about who we were while we were here. This goes like this. Suffer anymore 
wobbling immense when you were through. The question isn't, are oh, you gonna die? You're gonna die. Will you be done living when you do? So run till you cannot take a single step in strength. Then crawl on your hands and knees till your hands and knees they ache. When you cannot crawl, it will be me you call to carry you back home again. Question isn't all you gonna suffer anymore. What will it meant when you were through? The question isn't all you gonna die, you're gonna die. Will you be done living when you do? Will you be done living when you do? Thank you, Harvey.